Welcome to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline. I'm your host, Monica Hadley, and with me is my co-host and mother, Caroline Kilborn. And hello, everyone, whatever time of day it is, it's morning here. <laughs> morning on a beautiful last day of June is when, we're, when we are recording this interview. And, yes. Yeah, and um, it's a beautiful day, not horribly hot, but definitely summer. Not yet, not yet anyway. <laughs> it's definitely summer in Iowa. Yeah. So um, a lot of the events of our book today happen in the summer in a small town in New Jersey. Mom, who who are we talking to today? Today we're talking to the author of Our Little World, uh, who is Karen Wynn. And Karen is uh, a very interesting author, and she received her MFA from Fairleigh Dickinson University, she also holds a doctoral degree in nursing. Born and raised in New Jersey, she now lives in Boston with her husband and two children. Our Little World is her first novel, and it's a very interesting one. And we'll be glad to hear about all about it in just a second. So welcome to Writer's Voices, Karen. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So... This is your first published novel. So one of the first questions to ask, is it the first novel you ever wrote or just the first you've published? Um, so I wrote, I mean, you know, I'm in my 40s now. <laughs> in my 20s, I wrote, you know, like early 20s, I wrote something that, you know, maybe for the length of it felt like a novel, but it really wasn't anything coherent. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, you know, truly my first novel that I've, you know, developed over years. And when did you first decide you were going to write a novel? So I had done my MFA and I um, had done a collection of short stories for my thesis and um, um, which was which was, I think, great to workshop when you're doing an MFA because, you know, I, I would imagine that it would be, it was just nice to have like kind of concise feedback for short stories and be able to work on them and, and um, better them um, in the time span that a MFA program allows. Um, and then after, after that, I continued to write short stories and um, tried to publish, you know, some for my thesis, had some success, um, with small literary magazines, um, many, 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 many rejections. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I just, at some point, I just, I just started thinking, you know, this novel idea came to me and I just, to be honest, I was ready mentally at that point to, um, to work on a novel. You know, I think that it's a different, I mean, writing short stories is such a, art unto itself and, and different process and craft and um, then writing a novel. And um, I was just ready to um, to write, to begin writing a novel and to um, to explore that. Like, and I was really excited, to be honest, about escaping into the writing and the story and not thinking about trying to publish something, too, you know, with the short story. Oh. Like, be sending those out and getting the rejections. And it was just nice to take a break from that and to just dive into this story because I love, I write cause I love to write, 
And so, um, yeah, so that it was nice just to to stop trying to to publish a, sh a short story or an essay and, and just to work on my novel. And and I, you know, I didn't know what was going to come of it, but but it was fun. It was fun and trying and, and all of that. But it was uh, I enjoyed it. How long did you work on it? I mean, I worked on it many years. It's hard to, to ascertain because I was doing other things. You know, I was working, um, you know, as a nurse practitioner. I, um, you know, have a couple small kids. I, um, you know, like all other things, right? So, uh, you know, I would, I would, I, to be honest, I don't know because there would be months where I wouldn't work on it, months. And then, um, you know, then I would get back to it and then I would have a few months where I would work on it, but it, it took years. It took years. It took so long that when my, when I had the call with the agent, um, my now agent, Stacy Testa of Writer's House, my sister said to me, don't tell her how long it took you to write the novel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, with all that, over the, all that time, Mm -hmm. Did you, how did you know when it was done, when it was ready to send out? I, I actually, I, I, someone just asked me yesterday, are you going to read your book ever? And I said, no, <laughs> 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 I, I might listen to it, but I don't want to read it because I am a bit of a perfectionist and I know that I would, I don't think it's done still. Ah, okay. <laughs> I would go and, and change things, I think, probably. I mean, nothing comes to mind specifically. I'm very proud of it. But um, just the way that I am, I know that I would read it and think, oh, I should have changed even just like the, you know, micro, like I should have changed that sentence or this. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that um, I think that. I think at some point I thought this is good enough to query agents, right? Right, right. And then um, I also think it's almost like a matter of, and then, you know, when, when I got the book deal and then I worked with my editor and we did like three pretty big revisions and each one was smaller, that one's smaller and in scope. And I think that, I mean, I, honestly, I think we could have done like a few more, but time <laughs> didn't, you know, it's almost like a natural process of, okay, like it's, it's getting time to wrap this thing up. Right. So kind of moving us along, um, toward the, you know, publication direction. Um, but you know, I, I, I it's a good question. You know, it's a good question. You know, when I was a kid in school and I loved, I loved writing and reading and, you know, social studies and all that, but I loved math best <clears throat> because, when you solved a math problem, you knew you were done. Mm. You knew mm. you had the right answer, and that was the answer. And whereas with writing, with anything where you're, you know, you, you can always make it better, different, change it, so forth. So having yeah. that, yeah, having that sense of finality that's imposed by the out by some other something other than yourself is sometimes yeah. necessary to yeah. um, to actually get done and move on <laughs> exactly and i think you know as long as you feel just like anything in life that you did the best you could that's all you can do and then you kind of have to move on so karen tell us a little bit about where the story in our little world originated um, so our little world, um, it does take place in a small 
rural town in New Jersey called Hammond. It's a fictional town, but it is um, a fictionalized version and anagram of my hometown in New Jersey, Mendham, New Jersey. And um, I wanted to tell a story about sisters and secrets and how small in the moment decisions can have lingering um, consequences and was interested in exploring how tragedy could pierce a small community. Now, I really did have the idyllic childhood. Um, and um, my, my, I didn't know anyone who went missing. This is, this is like purely almost like a fictional story set in, um, in the setting of my childhood, essentially. Okay. And um, you said that there's a, a starting point from an incident that occurred in your own yeah. childhood. Yes. Yeah, so there is, um, in the book, um, there is a lake called um, Deer Chase Lake. And four-year-old Sally Baker, who has, she and her family have moved from Boston um, to the small town of Hammond. And my main character, B. And her, uh, she's a rising seventh grader, and her sister Audrina. Um, it's summer of 1985, and they um, decide to go swimming at the local lake, and that is where uh, four-year-old Sally Baker goes missing. And this, the novel centers on really like what happens in the aftermath of that. Um, it's not a mystery per se, but a coming of age. But that particular incident at the lake was inspired by something that occurred to me in my own childhood. Um, so there, the lake that it's, it's loosely based on is actually Sunrise Lake. And it is, um, when I was younger, I used to go swimming there and I used to love to swim underwater. Um, my mom called me a fish cause I was constantly, you know, under the water and only coming up for like a little bit of air and then, and then disappearing again. And, um, we were there one summer day um, in the 80s, and uh, I uh, resurfaced, and I saw everybody exiting the lake, and I wasn't sure why. Um, there was a lifeguard there, but I hadn't heard him blow the whistle, um, but I realized it must have been because I was underwater. Um, so I just I followed everyone out, and there was this uh, kind of chaotic energy on the beach, and um and, you know, I was trying to find my mom and then I, I finally spotted her and she was standing with the lifeguard who was probably like this very nervous high schooler lifeguard. <laughs> and he was literally grabbing little girls um, and saying, is this her? Is this her? And then I realized that they had emptied the lake looking for me. <laughs> uh, and uh, because, you know, my mom couldn't find me because I was underwater. And I, I just thought, you know, it's like one of those memories um, those visceral memories that you have in your childhood that are kind of seared in you. And I just thought, you know, when thinking of when I, when I just thought in the aftermath, um, wouldn't that be a great starting point for a story? Like what if I, or someone else had gone missing that day? Right. Right. And now the story really does center around, um, not just that event, but also the relationship between B and Audrina, yes. and her sister. And um, do you have a sister? I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 
what what does she think about this this portrayal of sisterhood? Uh, I mean, she loves the book. She, um, when you actually, uh, speaking of do, when do I know it's done, she was a very early reader of my book and, um, she's a big reader and, and she said, this is good. Send it out. And I said, well, I just want to make a few more changes. She's like, nope, send it out, send it out. It's good. And, um, it really was like her vote of confidence that, that with the timing that, that had me sending it out at that point. But, um, no, she, she likes it. I mean, it's, um, she's been very supportive. Um, the, the two sisters in there are not us. Um, we are, um, I'm was very, am very fortunate, um, to have a very close relationship with her. I also have a brother. My father is a Hungarian immigrant, similar to the Hungarian or was a, he's, he, he passed away 10 years ago, 12 years ago, actually. Um, but he's not, he's not the father either. You know, you sort of like take, take a starting point and then, um, go from there. Right. Um, right. But and, I was interested in, in those, but I also think that sisterhood is a very interesting relationship and, um, was interested in those relation, those, uh, relationships that aren't quite as close or kind of taking those points of tension and then dramatizing them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I wondered when you when you how you plan a novel. I mean, you, do you know what characters you're going to have when you start, or do you outline something? Or I just think it's amazing that you know you can can write something like this. Thank you. Um, well, I'm right, work, working on my next one, hoping to be a little more organized <laughs> with the process and and shorter with it too, <laughs> uh, in terms of the time that takes me. But. Um, so with this this novel, I really like these characters. I think also because I did live with them for a while in my head, a long time, I really did get to know them. And I actually came up with the characters' names and who they were from the start. Um, and a lot of things did change through revisions, but but that was pretty concrete. Um, and so B's real name is Borka, um, which is a Hungarian name. And, and it, she was named after... Um, who had died tragically young but she's very conscious of the fact that she has a different sounding name and um and it's uh and, and in hungarian it translates to foreigner or stranger and she's someone who does feel on the outside um so she doesn't like her name and in hungarian it's actually a very beautiful name but she doesn't like her name and um so i think you know for me having coming up with the the name and and who she is and kind of how she, her relationship to the name from the start, she's already feeling like inferior to her sister, Audrina, who has what she, what B thinks is like this beautiful name. Um, so for me, it was really like getting to know the characters first and, um, and thinking about, and I knew ultimately, so I, what I did was I, I, I had these kind of broad bullet points, like say up to 20 points of, of things that happened in the novel and um, and I, I tried, you know, it was my first novel, so I tried the long outline, the short outline. And then I finally realized having kind of just these short kind of bullet points, and they didn't necessarily correlate to chapters, but rather just things that happened in my novel. Um, and I had maybe like 16 or 17 of them total. And um, and I just followed them as it was like a roadmap. So I knew, for instance... Like I needed to get so from, you know, from bullet point nine to 10. And I had to achieve that at some point, whether it was in 
this chapter or the next one. So that was kind of how I, I worked. And I'm um, doing that again now with my next novel. And um, it seems to be working so far. So that's good. So characters and start with characters and then develop the bullet points of to, to have the roadmap. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I knew and I knew from the start, though, what like I knew what was going to happen. OK. But some characters did become more important, you know, as I was writing um, and they took on more <laughs> or relationships, which happens with that's the magic of writing, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, like, give us, can you give us an example without sure. any spoilers? Chris, Mrs. Baker, um, who is Sally, ba- Sally, the little girl who goes missing, her mom, Mrs. Baker, um, she took on a life of her own and um, wasn't initially, like, I didn't set out thinking that she would be as an interesting character, interesting character as she turned out to be. And, um, She's a very complex character, and, um, you know, I just, I I really, like, she's probably my favorite character, actually, um, really grew to care for her. She's also a nurse um, and has a kind of interesting backstory about that, and a troubled individual, and um, so I really felt for her, and also as an outsider coming to this small tight-knit community it was difficult for her um and then of course losing her daughter and um so yeah she she ended up taking on uh you know for me as I set out to tell a story as I said about sisters and secrets and and their secrets does come into play with Mrs. Baker but um she certainly did take on a life of her own and were you and you were surprised by some of that I was, but I was also, again, uh, I was surprised by yeah. it. And, yeah. uh, it, but it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, what about Sally's brother, um, Max? Was he, Max. yeah, yeah. Was he always, um, did he change at all during the writing process? Um, he actually did not change. Um, he was always like the, so uh, Sally's brother, uh, Max, is also a 11-year-old, and he is B's crush, and um, kind of like the cute new boy, and obviously, his. we know when his sister disappears, it, it, it changes his life forever. Um, there are things, I had at one point more about him in his adult life. Um mm. But that got, you know, cut during revision. And um, so maybe just if anything, like some pieces got taken away. Um, but he 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 did stay who he was. And um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I really felt for him as well. Oh, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. yeah these kids. Now, another you kind of delve into the uh, what would you say the junior high girls social oh yeah nightmare <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah 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 and um oh man you know thinking back on that time and and having watched my daughter go through that time period although she she handled it pretty well but it just how mean girls can be yes. and how how much I'd like to tell some of them that 
none of the things that they think are important then really are going to matter at all when they're grown up. (laughs) And that, that being popular really doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, um, that was something I was very interested in exploring because, you know, when you're young, you, and hopefully that I did convey this, but you do feel like, everything is life or death right and you do feel like mm-hmm. your, your problems are so big and because your world is so small right like literally our little world like it's so tiny and um and then it, interestingly enough obviously in this in this little world there were real world real dire things that did happen like the most dire things um, right right but there were also yeah of small things that that didn't matter um but you know I I thought back to my own childhood and when I would get an argument with my parents or my siblings you know I would feel like it was the end of the world right so tried to um convey that um but yeah Mean Girls you know I I uh I remember at one point my editor said so there's this like the ringleader of the Mean Girls Hope Rodale and uh, and even her name, like I, you know, I I wanted an H letter name because of remember that movie Heather's, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, um, I wanted to do something like a nod to that, and that was sort of like what I was kind of drawing on a little, like the the mean girl, like the clique and people following the masses, and um, so even even her though, I mean, I remember my editor said, uh, do you want? Like, is it intentional that you keep saying Hope Rodale? Like, she's one of those people that's always first and last name, right? Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yes, she's just one of those people that uh, you refer to as first and last name. So she's definitely the the mean girl. And uh, yeah, it's it's like you know, it, it when we think back, like it doesn't matter now, right? Obviously, popularity and all of that. Um, but it's also like very real and in the moment. Um, when you're young. Um, so, and yeah, and, and, and it's, and it's interesting too, cause I think, so I set this book in the eighties and, and people keep referring to it as simpler times and in a way it was, but in a way it also wasn't too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> <laughs> well, the world is, the world is changes. The world changes all the time. And we, you know, we, we have to exist in what we have, and uh, but I, I was interested in in the way that you develop the, the the characters and how they, you know, usually you you think of the the um, older sister as being the, the dominant one rather than the younger sister, and that was kind of interesting. I thought. Yes, that was intentional. Um, I wanted to kind of. Uh, play with that and into and 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 capitalize them on that to so you know be being the older one just sort of compounding her insecurity right that mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. who's a year younger than she is is the more popular the more pretty the more poised more of the natural leader which is obviously turning that on its head because normally it is the firstborn that right, is right. The, the kind of leader. Yeah, and it's so tragic how B doesn't really have a an accurate perception of 
how her sister sees her. Yeah. And uh, and of her sister at all. And it, it just, it's so sad. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a sad book. <laughs> it is a sad book. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 um, I liked how we could, we, I was able to show that through the diary entries later on. Right. Who, who does, who you, you know, the reader might think is, has it all together, but then you do realize that she also is an insecure young girl. Yeah. And and Mrs. Sally and, and really is affected by her relationship with B and, um, you know, not to give spoilers away, but, but, you know, does develop a health condition that makes her very vulnerable. You're listening to Writer's Voices, and our guest today is Karen Wynn, author of Our Little World. Karen, would you like to read a little bit from the book? Sure. Where I'm starting is uh, is about 18 pages into the book. So um, it is summer 1985, and um, as I mentioned, um, uh B and her sister Audrina are gonna go swimming at the lake with uh, Max and Sally Baker, the new kids from Boston. And Mrs. Baker is the one that's taking them. And um, it's been raining for a while and the the weather's finally cleared. So they're really excited to go. And the only other thing that you need to know is that um, B's sister Audrina has this charm bracelet that B covets and um, B has noticed just earlier that morning that Sally Baker is wearing Audrina's bracelet. So Audrina has given the bracelet to Sally instead of her, which has made B feel upset and slighted that her own sister gave the bracelet to someone she's barely known um, when she knew how much she personally liked it. It took about 15 minutes to get to Deer Chase Lake from our houses. Main Street eventually turned into Route 108 from which spit the turnoff for the lake's small dirt parking lot. The lake was located upon a hill and it had a sandy beach, a fact I found ironic since the lake was as still as pool water, not at all like the ocean. But the surrounding the lake were dense woods, the trees so tall and busy, I'd once had the thought as I stood on the lake's perimeter that the lake itself was a sort of beach for the vast woods that crowned it. It was the kind of forest that seemed to hold secrets that made you a bit dizzy if looked at too closely or too long. As soon as Mrs. Baker's station wagon chugged up to Deer Chase Lake, we could tell it was crowded because there were no more open spots in the parking lot. Cars had now begun to line the road. Mrs. Baker pulled behind the last parked car and we tumbled out to race up the stairs that led to the lake. As we neared the top, Summer sounds circled us like a swarm of bees, children screaming and laughing, water being splashed, dogs barking, a cautionary two-whistle beep from the lifeguard stand. I looked out to the lake, which appeared like a giant, nearly too full bowl of water. People bobbed up and down, their bodies in constant motion. Kids raced in and out of the lake, chasing one another. In the far distance, I saw two people swimming back toward the lake. They were much farther out than everyone else. That must have been the reason for the whistleblow. The beach was shortened because of the recent storm, but we still managed to find a good spot not too far from the water. 
Mrs. Baker flung open her chair and angled it toward the sun, which meant facing a section of woods. She plopped down without stripping to her bathing suit and began fanning herself with her book. Go ahead and play, kiddos. Keep an eye on your sister, Max. I was secretly hoping Mrs. Baker would remove her cover-up so I could see the way she looked in her bathing suit. Sometimes when it got really, really hot, she cooled off with a brief swim, though most of the time she was content to lounge in one of her colorful cover-ups, some of which looked more like fancy bathrobes than swimwear. She loved sunning herself, and I'd recently noticed that the inside of her arm, where the extra skin rolled over, was whiter than the rest of it. It was like the skin underneath my bathing suit where the sun didn't hit. Sally, that's Max's little sister, began building a sandcastle and Audrina took off to the lake, toward the lake without me, while Max, after a brief hesitation and look in my direction, followed her. I frowned. Was Audrina annoyed I questioned her about giving Sally the bracelet? Or maybe she was just being Audrina, doing whatever she wanted to do without considering me at all. I entered the water alone, letting my body bob in the gentle wave created by the other swimmers, while tears pooled in my eyes. No matter how many times I told myself I wouldn't let my sister get to me, she did. Then I heard Max yell out, hey B, we're over here, as he waved his hands in the air. I dunked underneath so I could clear my tears and swam over to him and Audrina. My sister grinned and splashed me with water, and I forcefully splashed her back. Audrina just laughed, and the edges around us softened, as they always did, even when I was sure they couldn't. We continued to play, eventually coming into the shallow water so Sally could join us too. For lunch, the four of us had a picnic next to the sand castle Sally had made, munching on hot dogs and chips from the concession stand. Is this the country? Sally suddenly asked while surveying the lake and its surroundings. You mean the lake, I replied. Everything, she responded, waving her half-eaten hot dog in the air. And Audrina and I giggled. To us, country might have meant Stilk's farm about an hour's drive away, where our family went each fall to pick apples and pumpkins. It certainly didn't mean Deer Chase Lake or Route 108 or most of our town. Only later, when I started dating my husband, who lived in New York City, would I realize that all of Hammond was indeed quite rural and possibly country. No, Sally, Max gently replied over our laughter as Sally's eyes widened with embarrassment. It's not the country, just a small town. Small town or not, the beach continued to fill up throughout the afternoon, the sounds and amount of people becoming almost overwhelming. Back in the lake, I began diving underwater and lingering there, enjoying the sudden hush that the sound barrier of the water provided. The only noises were a thin humming that seemed to come from the water itself and the occasional bubble that would escape from my mouth. Every time I plunged underneath, it felt like the outside world was erased. All that was left was me. The lake was murky, so I had to swim fairly blindly. Sometimes I bumped into another kid, at which point I would pop up and yelp a small, sorry, before disappearing again. It was during one of these accidental bumps and quick resurfacings that I realized people were exiting the lake. Everybody, in fact. It reminded me when the lifeguards at the pool called for adult swim and the kids had to exit. I was momentarily disoriented. This wasn't the pool and no, no lifeguard had blown a whistle. Or maybe they had, I realized, as I sloshed toward the beach, 
I must not have heard it because I was underwater. There was a frantic energy in the air. Some parents were reaching for children and picking them up like they were toys. Others were whipping their heads left and right, frazzled. The older kids were running around or bundled in towels, hopping from foot to foot. Everyone was moving. It was, I was, it was as if we were all still swimming, but without any water. In the chaos, I struggled to locate Mrs. Baker. And then I saw her. I was surprised to find that she, even she was in motion, up from the chair, standing, looking, twisting. One of the lifeguards stood in front of her and was grabbing every little girl who ran by. Mrs. Baker, I asked as I approached. Her eyes just seemed to glaze over me. Is this her? The lifeguard asked, another confused girl momentarily captured in his arms. I suddenly felt sick, knots rolling in my stomach. A cool hand touched my back. B, Audrina said in a hoarse voice. Have you seen Sally? I shook my head. No. Mrs. Baker looked as white as I'd ever seen her, as if the inside of her arm where the sudden didn't hit had spread like a rash. I was swimming. Did she go swimming? I don't know, my sister said. I was swimming too with Max. I saw her playing in the sand after we ate lunch. We both stared at the lake, now quiet, and it felt like time had momentarily paused. Then a lifeguard punctured the surface, breaking the stillness to take a deep breath before disappearing again under the water. Max paced back and forth at the water's edge, his gaze scanning the lake. The water barrier was pierced again by an older teenage boy and another, and then by a man, and I realized there were a lot of people blindly swimming underneath, looking for Sally. The sound of a siren boomed in the distance, and Audrina grabbed my hand. Thank you. That was Karen Wynn reading from Our Little World. Now, this was set in the 80s, but it could have, the story could have happened almost any time. Why did you choose that decade for it? Um, I chose that decade for a few reasons. Um, so, I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and so I didn't grow up with, you know. Cell phones. And <laughs> right, and, and internet and, and all of that, and and I can't. And I, you know, when I thought about setting this novel, I, I don't know what it's like to, to be an 11 year old in today's world. You know, I actually I have a 10 year old son, but so I see through his eyes, but I, I really don't know. I, it's so different. And I, I really wanted to strip away that and, and set something in a time without that. Um, and I wanted to, I, I love the idea of controlling like the suspense, like controlling the amount of information these kids received when Sally disappeared. Like it felt like kind of, I was able to like slow down time, like in the aftermath, after Sally goes missing, these kids are getting information just through like old school phone gossip, like, you know, over, let's over eavesdropping on their parents' conversations. You know, they're not even like, they don't even have 24 hour news. It's all very like kind of slowed down and controlled. And I love being able to do that. Um, I also, um, I also wanted to set it in the eighties cause it was a really fascinating time in our country in terms of missing kids. Um, so I had done a ton of research about this, but basically in the eighties, uh, you know, in the early eighties, in late seventies, there were these high profile missing kids cases like Adam Walsh and Ian Patz. And, um, you know, in the early eighties, they passed this 
passed this like National Missing Children Act, um, which was uh, the first of its kind. And they finally established a 24 hour, like they finally established a national database where you could even like report a missing kid. But prior to that, like there was no, like if a kid went missing, they, they had no way of tracking it. They had no way of reporting it. Um, so like an unknown number of missing kids, kids went missing rather each year. And I had come oh, across wow. that I had come across like some quote that said that it was like easier for the FBI to like track a stolen car than like a missing kid, um, which is crazy. Um, so, um, you know, in, in 1984, they rolled out with the missing kids on the milk cartons. Um, so in 1985, when my novel begins, all of this is like relatively nascent. Um, it's, uh, you know, local police um, really don't still don't know how to how to handle a missing kids case. Um, the FBI rarely got were, were getting involved. Missing kids uh, searches were really um, guided and prompted by the family of the missing kid. Um, so it was just kind of like a really interesting time in terms of like kind of like the disorganization surrounding that. And so I also wanted to like capitalize on that on that. And there was also like that stranger danger kind of sweeping the nation. Um, so it was just like a really, really interesting time. Um, and I, you know, I remember like having cereal and looking at these like, you know, missing kids on the milk cartons and it was always very like jarring and, and obviously, uh, striking and, and sad. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's why. Do you think there were more kids that went missing during that time than earlier or just more attention paid to it? Completely more attention paid to it, you know, I mean, wow. and, you know, and, 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 um, and there's this line in the book where, um, you know, I, I say, and I actually, I don't want to give away spoilers. Maybe I should yeah. say that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, essentially it, it, it was, it's, it was kind of more just attention being paid to it. Um, and like I said, there were those high profile cases. So, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Mom, do you remember anything ever hearing about missing kids when you were a kid? Mm, no, I don't think so. But you know this this um, this thing now that this trafficking stuff, and I see in, in the in the newspaper. I, well, there's an insert in the newspaper, and there's a lot every week. There's pictures of people, kids have gone missing, and you just don't know, you know, what what the story is or anything. But it, it gives their age and the time they went missing, and you, so you just you just I just pray for them because I can't imagine. But you know. Your sister-in-law has just rode 200 miles to raise money for to uh, to stop the trafficking, and I was really thought that was really something. So people are trying to do something about that. So that's good. Do you know, Karen, if the statistics um, indicate if there's more, you know, like the 80s and 90s since they started tracking this, have the numbers gone up, gone down? To be honest, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I do imagine that the internet, like trafficking, though, has, you know, sort of the internet makes it, unfortunately, easier for people to do things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as you were saying that, talking about, you know, why you chose to set the book in the 80s, in some ways it does seem like the world has changed more since then than it did in the whole, you know, 
like from your childhood, mom, from the 40s to the 80s, that it It has changed more in the last 40 years than it, a lot more than in the previous 40 years. Would you agree with that, Karen? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, completely. I think, yeah, it's just, you know, connectivity, internet, like it's just just changed everything. Someone was just telling me yesterday that they, um, um, we're speaking to someone that kind of lives, lives, lives off the grid in New Hampshire. <laughs> and, uh, and that they were saying that it, it's even harder, like every year to continue to live off the grid because like they, they continually are told, even like open up a bank account, they're told to like do it online or to rent. Like there's, oh, I know. directed to the internet, even though it's almost like hard, it's almost like very, very hard to live off the grid completely, which oh. is very interesting. That's true. There's so many things now that, yeah, you have to have email to do. Right. Or you, you go to a restaurant and you need to scan the QR code. I know. <laughs> I know. And that, the, the pandemic kind of did that. Yes. And the QR codes were sort of never really got traction until then. And now they're everywhere. No, totally. I remember I went pre-pandemic to, um, to a conference and and they had and I called them like QRS codes. I didn't even know how to do it. Like <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So Karen, how did your nursing career and your health background um, contribute to this book? You know, how did how did you draw on that in your as your yeah. writing? Um, it, it contributed a great deal. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm a nurse and, um, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I do clinical consultant work these days though. I'm not seeing patients anymore. Um, but you know, I, I've been a nurse staff nurse and, uh, I'm a, for a number of years and a nurse practitioner. Um, I, um, I drew heavily on my nursing experience in a number of ways. So first of all, like I kind of think of my characters like my patients. Um, and, you know, I think that the idea of like character sketches is akin to almost like t- taking a patient's medical history. Um, because when I would, when I would, you know, get an admission to the hospital, we go over everything their medical, that the presenting medical issue, we would go over, um, their social situation, their living situation. Like I really like you know, you would have this sort of comprehensive view of your patient because they're a holistic being with with a lot of things at at play. And that is kind of how I think of my characters um, as these kind of holistic beings with all these different things at play. Um, So I think right from the from the start, that aspect of of how I and I I, and I would like to think that I care for my 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 characters like I care for my patients, too. And then there are, I don't want to give away spoilers, but there's basically a couple of medical conditions that appear in the book um, that significantly impact um, the character, at least one of the characters journeys. And, um, and I, I, so I, I drew on that too. And, and so I had to research these conditions also in the eighties and understand like what would have been, what it would have been like to have it then and then also like what treatments were available then, um, the management of it. Um, so that was also very interesting. And because it was also in the eighties, it's not like people like nowadays you could Google someone's experience with a medical condition and, and find a bunch of stuff on it. Right. 
but because it didn't oh, yeah. in the 80s, like I, I didn't have that. So I had to rely on both my nursing expertise of, of taking care of patients with um, at least one of those conditions. And then I ha- I went to, I have like a stack of, of papers. Like I, I researched medical journals from the 80s um, to determine the appropriate treatment. At the time, because it may yeah. be different than it is now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Um, when you were like young and going to college and you chose to go into nursing at the time, did you think about going into creative writing? Was that something that. <laughs> yeah. No, I always had these like two loves. I mean, always. I remember having sort of like I had a, a not great clinical experience um, at one point, I think when I was like a junior in college and, um, and just thinking to myself, oh, do I want to do, or do I want to, but do I want to pursue English? But I always knew that I could write like on the side and I always did. Like even, I mean, I always wrote like in high school, I wrote for our school newspaper uh, or sport. Yeah. It wasn't like a daily, it was like a monthly newspaper. And, and in college I wrote a little bit for the school uh, newspaper as well. I wrote, um, I took extra writing classes. I, um, you know, when I when I was working as a nurse and living in Hoboken, I I wrote for a now defunct website, Hoboken website, covering uh, social events. I was also trying to figure out like what type of writing I'd like to do, basically too. Um, so it was kind of like in a, a journey to figure out um, my own relationship with story and words and writing. But um, I always I always loved it, um, and. Um, but, you know, my mom's a uh, retired English teacher, and I knew I didn't want to – I just thought, well, what am I going to do with an English degree? You know, because I, I, I never wanted to teach, never. Right. Um, and I loved, um, you know, a friend – my friend's mom was a nurse, and I used to volunteer with her at the hospital. She was an uh, emergency room nurse, so I got to see, like, really cool stuff. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, I just thought, like, I just – I loved – I loved the sort of patient aspect of it and – um, so I've been fortunate to be able to pursue both. Um, well, it's, it's, it's always a balancing act, just like anything, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And of course, so. nursing is probably um, kind of a more secure career in a way. Than, yes. Than writing. <laughs> That's true. <enough. laughs> Particularly in today, man, there's such a yeah. shortage of nurses and such a need. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. I yeah. know. I get like emails and calls all the time. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So um, you you mentioned that you are no longer, you know, seeing patients, that you're a consultant, clinical consultant. What is that exactly? So I, um, so I get like pulled in for uh, different projects, like related, like in the healthcare field, like, you know, like for instance, um, not when it don't want to name specifics, but like this hospital had acquired a, a an old, a, a new hospital, a hospital that was bankrupt and created like a mental health department. So I consulted on that project. Um, actually, someone just reached out to me yesterday because I had said for the month of like, you know, May and June, I can't do anything because I'm going to be doing book stuff. But um, I just like I'm going to be doing some qualitative analysis on um, a, a healthcare study. Um, so I do it's like kind of like nursing research and then also consulting work type of, type of things. Wow. Yeah. wow. And 
is part of the reason that you've moved to that was because you wanted to be able to devote more time to writing? You know, I, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I felt like I just kind of advanced in my nursing career, you know, like I started off as a nurse, uh, and then I did my master's and doctorate and one thing just kind of led to the other, quite honestly, it was just sort of like a progression. Um, and even a nurse, like I was a, a med surge nurse for a number of years and I did ICU nursing and then um, the nurse practitioner. I just felt like I kept like evolving sort of um, in, in my career. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it's um, yeah. So I think that, and then with the clinical consultant, it's, I keep getting like roped in. <laughs> when did you like find the time to go do an MFA with all, <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not 80. You're, you know, it's like with all this, this amazing well, career and all this education and I know I'm never, never, never going back to school again. <laughs> but, um, I, I, uh, but I'm glad I'm using all my degrees, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I did a low residency MFA and I loved it. You know, I was working at the time full-time as a nurse, as a staff mm -hmm. nurse. And I loved it because I, I was already writing and I, for me, like the, even though I've always kind of pursued writing on the side, I felt like the more I got, the further along I got in my nursing career, even just in terms of like years of being a nurse, staff nurse, I was feeling like less and less sort of like creatively stymied, like a little like hemmed in by like medicine. And I felt like I was kind of lacking because this is also, this was like, I did this MFA like in, you know, I think like 2006 or something, you know, like this, there weren't a ton of MFA, low residency MFA programs then there weren't like, and nowadays you can go online and take a number of online creative classes, but we didn't, I didn't have that then. Right. And so it's really looking for, like, I really felt like I needed, I, I felt like I needed like the writing experience and the writing group experience and, um, to be surrounded by like creative individuals. And so I loved it because it was like, it was like fun. It was fun, you know, and it, and then I went twice a year to the campus and the rest was like online. And, um, and it was, it was like, I think it would sort of like served for me what like, a, a like an online class might serve today for somebody without going through the whole MFA. You're listening to Writer's Voices, and our guest today is Karen Wynn, author of Our Little World. This, this book is, is, is a mystery. It's a mystery, and it's a, it's a story about, you know, relationships between two sisters and, and other people in the, in the characters. But it's a mystery, too, and that's, that's what makes it so interesting. And I, we're not going to give any spoilers because <laughs> you, start when you start reading this, you want to know what's going to happen. So it is a page turner, and that's that's what makes it so good, I, I think anyway. But you know, the world the world is much more dangerous today for kids than it was back when I was a kid. That's for sure, and uh, I because of the internet and everything. And so parents just have to be more more vigilant, and um, that's it's too bad that that's that's the way the world is. I guess. I think it depends on what world you were living in at the time that there were there were when you were a kid there were tight places and people for whom it was very dangerous oh i'm sure yeah, yeah. well of course there's yeah. second world war 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you no <know>? kidding. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. on the other hand, uh, everybody seemed, see, at that time, this, this country was more, was not as divided as it is now because everybody was working toward, you know, surviving and helping, helping our, our military and everything. It was, it was much different. It was a much different atmosphere. It really was. So, but anyway, this, this, uh, you know, like, like she said, now all the, the technology and everything is a, it's a whole other, whole other thing. And, uh, this, um, but that, that's what makes that makes life interesting changes <laughs> that's true so karen when you started sending the book out um how did you tell us a little bit about your path to publication because you know you this is your first novel and you're being published by a major publisher that's a fairly rare rare thing so how'd you do it um yeah no i feel so fortunate that 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 has happened because i know um you know, I'm in a couple of writing groups and, um, you know, there are many people that I know that are wonderful writers, um, who have not been as fortunate. Um, so I think, you know, there's certainly a bit of luck involved for sure and timing. Um, but my path to journey, my path rather to publication. Um, so I, um, I had met, um, so there's this writing organization and center here called Grub Street. Are you familiar with that um, yes, here yeah, in Boston? Yeah. I'm in Boston and um, um, it's, it's a wonderful place and they have um, it's what, what I would have wanted back when I was doing my MFA in, mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Um, but it's, it's, they just have, you know, a plethora of classes in line online in person. They have this wonderful conference every year called the Muse in the marketplace. Um, and I attended it one year and um I, you could, sometimes they have, um, these, they have like agents and editors come and you can like basically pay a little extra to meet with one of them. Um, so I, um, had, um, Stacy Testa, my now agent, um, was going to be at the conference and I had done my research and I knew that she, she represented novels, some like she was looking for novels that similar to the one that I was writing and, and just loved what she was looking for. And I felt like we would be a great match. And so I had, I met with her um, and I had um, paid for like a manuscript or I don't know, like a, like a consultation basically. So in advance I had sent her, um, they had you send like 20 or 25 pages of your book and a query. And then at the conference, you got to do like a face-to-face where you met with them and hear what they had to say. And she said to me, send, send me this when you're done. It was probably premature because I wasn't near <laughs> ready to send it to her, um, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to. And so she says, send this to me when you're done. And so, you know, I think it was like 18 months later, believe it or not, that I sent it to her. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And then I also queried other agents at the time as well. Um and, uh, um, I had a, uh, another offer of representation, but, um, just really felt like Stacy was, was, uh, who I, and she, so luckily she offered me representation and, and then she's also, a, she's a, a hands-on kind of editorial agent, which I liked too. And so we did, ended up doing, um, a revision together, um, and then went out on a limited submission, um, to publishers 
um, had some feedback from them. So then kind of pulled the manuscript from the rest, did another revision together and sent it out and then had um, an offer pretty quickly from my editor, Lexi at Dutton. So, you know, it, it, it did happen. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, one of my friends was like, oh, ha ha, you're quote an overnight success. <laughs> you know, it's like the years that I've like done, you know, put right, in. right, right. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, it's everybody, every writer I'm sure has like their own path and their own, um, you know, it's never like smooth sailing for sure. But I do think overall, I was like very fortunate and it, and it did happen pretty quickly, which is great. Well, the book is very well written and, and, um, that makes a difference. I think <laughs> that's, it really is. So, well, we're out of time and I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Karen. Oh, thank you. This was, um, <laughs> chat i so enjoyed it and and caroline do you have some closing words for us yeah well this in the you have to really read the book to understand these words (laughs) this one i guess but life's most treasured moments often come unannounced and life's most terrifying moments also come unannounced and that's what happens in this book so Uh. i suggest that people read this (laughs) (laughs) well said Bye-bye, and see you all next week on Writer's Voices.